Today on the podcast, we're going to be going verse by verse through the book of Romans. Today, we're going to be in the second half of the first chapter. This is Michael Bohm. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. guys. Welcome back. Uh, Like I said in the introduction, I have been teaching a series of sermons at a Calvary Chapel in Berthoud, Colorado uh, in the book of Romans. Uh, Currently, this this church that I attend is uh, searching for another pastor. Uh, Our our former pastor stepped down, and so me and a couple of the other guys were trying to make up for (laughs) the lack of a pastor, and so we're rotating and uh, teaching Sunday sermons. This would be uh, the second sermon that I taught at this church on a Sunday morning, and uh, it's the second half of the first chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, I've I've been having a lot of fun putting these these teachings together, and uh, they've turned out pretty good. Uh, I'm getting really good reception there at the church with these sermons. So anyway, I'm posting this up for you guys. I know you're going to enjoy it. I get a lot of feedback on these verse-by-verse studies. Yes, I'm going to be, uh, well, I'm going to be getting back to uh, more apologetics-driven subjects very soon, okay? Um, I, I already have some things in the mix. Um, but having said that, in this sermon today, I get into some fun apologetics-based subjects. So anyway, with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. Continue on in the book of Romans. Can you guys hear me okay? Had some uh, slides made today so that we would have some slides. And um, right at the last second, converting from PC which makes sense to Mac, which is demon-possessed. Um, <laughs> not saying I'm, I'm biased. You know, the, the logo is an apple. That should tell you something, right? An apple with a bite out of it. But when, when it was converted, it destroyed, it wrecked the slides. So Danielle, back there, retyped all my slides at the last second this morning. Oh, just two of them. And so I am blessed. If there are any autocorrect incidences, you know, where you have to grab one of your children and go, I apologize. You know how that goes, right? When you do a voice text and you don't check it before you send it. And you're like, no, 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 take it back, take it back. And it's too late. Anyway, so we're in the book of Romans. And a little bit about Romans, again, just to to, uh, go back and review. Uh, Romans uh, was a book written by Paul. Okay, written around 55 to 58 AD, which I mentioned last time that that is uh, one of the earlier books of the Bible. And then Russ, wherever he's at, had to one-up me with James, James being written in 49 AD. So it was written towards the end of Paul's third missionary journey. Uh, He was still in Corinth, and um, he was intending to go to Rome himself in person but he had to get this collection. If you guys remember in the book of Acts, he, he had to get this collection of money for the impoverished saints that were there in Jerusalem. And so he was going to go to Jerusalem with a big pile of money, and then he was going to go to Rome, 
And as we read, he eventually did get to Rome, but in chains. Okay, um, None of the other big boys of the faith had made it to Rome yet either. And so Paul wanted to get this message to these young Roman Christians. And so this book is the most systematic approach to the gospel and our Christian faith that you're going to find in any of the epistles, any of the books of the Bible. Start to finish, it answers so many questions that we as Christians face. You know, oh man, I don't really have a whole lot of works in my life. Am I even saved? Or, wow, I've, I've got a lot of sin in my life still. What's up with that? Am I even saved? Or, man, I'm not doing the stuff that this guy over here is doing. I mean, he's like super saint, and I'm just kind of sitting around doing nothing. Well, all these types of questions and so much more. Uh, for example, justification and sanctification. Remember we talked about that last time? This is a big deal, the difference between these two words. So many people get these mixed up, and that's where a lot of cults get started because they get the two words justification and sanctification mixed up. Anybody remember what justification was? Justification, easy way to remember it. It's justified, never sinned. Okay? So at that moment when you trust in Christ, at that very moment that you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've been justified. So if, if a bus crashes through the front door here and, and wipes you out, you're going to heaven. You're saved, right? The guy on the cross next to Jesus, he didn't get a chance when he said, you know, can you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, truly I tell you that today you'll be with me in paradise. That guy didn't get a chance to get down and clean up his life. He didn't even get a chance to get baptized. Now that one for free. Okay? Um, And so justification means at that moment you trust in Christ, that very moment you're saved. Now sanctification, when everybody gets these two mixed up with, sanctification is a process. It's a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit putting his finger on certain sins in your life and making you feel convicted about them. Because, you know, you guys got issues, right? And you got to clean up your lives. So um, that's that process of the Holy Spirit getting a hold of you, convicting of you of your sins, and then you, in uh, cooperation with the Holy Spirit, cleaning up those issues in your life. Okay? Don't get those two mixed up. Okay? We don't do good works. We don't... Uh, not sin to be saved. We don't sin because we are saved. We try our best to be good representatives of Christ in this life. And it's a process. And it'll last until the day you die because you will always have more issues. God will uproot one problem only for you to discover yet another problem. Okay? And, uh, it, you know, actually, if you feel convicted of your sins, it's a really good thing. If you don't feel convicted of your sins... That's a bad thing. <laughs> okay? So anyway, so we're, we're working through the book of Romans. I have an outline here, hopefully. And this is what I was talking about. Hopefully this turned out. Can you guys see that? So um, we started out last time. We had um, the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the introduction. Okay? And then we go from there into today, where we're going to get into chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Things start getting dark at this point because Paul, he moves through a series of arguments. He's presenting what it looks like to be saved. And he starts out with the bad news. And so today, you're going to get the bad news. All right? Starts off with the Gentiles 
no matter what they do, they're not saved. Okay? They sin. They fall short of the glory of God. And so Paul's point is the Gentiles, they're guilty. They're lost. And then you can almost feel the Jews puffing up at this point when they're hearing the letter and they're like, that's right. You know, you dirty Gentiles. And then he goes into chapter two, which we're going to get into next time. And he shows that even the Jews can't measure up to God's perfect standard. Okay. And then he follows that up with the whole world's guilty. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's no one good. No, not one. And it's dark. You, you end that point and Man, if you don't go any further, if you just stop there at the end of chapter two, you're in the dumps. You feel terrible. Like you start wondering, man, I, I don't think I'm saved. I, I don't see how this could happen. And then you get into chapter three and you start seeing salvation, justification, and what actually, you know, how one gets saved, trusting in Christ and Christ alone. And it's very relieving. And that's when you learn about justification. Uh, you get to see justification explained, and then it's illustrated in the life of Abraham as well as the life of Adam. And then you go on to sanctification. Chapter 6 is, sorry, 6, 7, and 8. Uh, sanctification is explained. Okay, And in chapter 6, you have this issue of, we all know Christians like this, that are like, well, you know, I'm saved by grace, so why not just do what I want to do, right? Just live how I want to live. And Paul addresses that Christian, okay? Then in chapter 7, conversely, you've got the other Christian that says, oh, you're not saved unless you observe all the law. And, you know, you do all the works of the Mosaic law, okay? As prescribed by Moses in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, okay? And he addresses that as well. Okay, in, in chapter 7. Then we get into chapter 8, and that deals with, well, then how can we be enabled to live a holy, righteous, spirit-filled life? And Paul explains that situation. Then chapters 9 through 11, we have the situation where at this point, the Jews are probably wondering, well, wait a minute, I thought we were God's chosen people, but now you're saying that we... Jews and those Gentiles can be saved through Christ. What about us? Like, what happened? Like, did God just forget about the promises? And, and what's going on here? So Paul goes, and he, kind of like a little interlude, he kind of goes off to the side and explains past, present, future of the Jews and shows them how they they really did have it at one point. And then in chapter, um, chapter 10... He looks at their present rejection. Currently, they're rejecting Messiah, a lot of them. And then, chapter 11, we get into the future res- restoration. Uh, finally, in chapters uh, 12, 13, and 14, we're looking at uh, the believer and service to God. Okay, And there's so many of us that we're like, gosh, you know, I'm not really doing a whole lot for the Lord. Well, that, those chapters address that. What does it look like? What is the Christian's service supposed to look like in the church, in society? And uh, to those who are weaker brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so that's kind of a, an accelerated running through the book of Romans again. And so today we're going to start in uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 18. So go ahead and open to that. Like I said, it's going to get dark, but there's going to be some interesting stuff along the way. We're gonna, we're gonna see some very fascinating things that Paul's gonna point out that 
you guys might have not caught the first couple times through the Romans. So uh, starting in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may, may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. Okay, that's, that's kind of fascinating. Okay, so, so Paul starts off here and he's like, the wrath of God is against or upon, it's revealed to these people who know God exists. And what we see there in the passage is people know that God exists. It doesn't matter what atheist you talk to, they know God exists. And we all do, deep down inside. We know about God's existence. But a lot of the world will suppress that truth. Okay? And so actually, as a little side note, that answers the question. You know, a lot of Christians and non-Christians will ask the question, well, what about those who have never heard the gospel? What about that, that group of people that's off somewhere in a, in a jungle somewhere or whatever, you know, somewhere out in the sticks? My wife hates when I say that. I had to look at her. Somewhere out in the sticks, you know, who's never heard the gospel? What about them? Well, they are held accountable for what they do know, okay? How that's going to pan out exactly, I don't know, okay? We do know things about God's character, though. We do, we do know that he's just, okay? We, for example, we have that situation where Abraham is strolling down the hill towards Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, nice little stroll, and uh, knowing that God is about to uh, wipe it off the map. And one of the things he asked God, it's, it's, it's a question, but it's kind of in the form of a statement. He's like, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Okay. And we do know God's character through his word, that he will do right. He will judge righteously. Okay, We also know that there will be nobody uh, weeping, no pain, no sorrow after the judgment. So none of us are going to be saying, God, that wasn't fair. What you just did there was not cool. Right? Does that make sense? So exactly how that's going to look, but God will do right, and people will be judged for what they do know. Okay? So... These people, they suppress the knowledge of God. They know God exists, and they suppress it anyway. You've got atheists out there. Some of you guys might know these names, like Bill Nye. Everybody knows Bill Nye, okay? Richard Dawkins, David Hume, Christopher Hitchens, easy for me to say. People like that, right, they put their whole lives into fighting a God they don't believe in, right? Isn't that odd? But the Bible here is saying they suppress the truth. They know he exists. And that 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 knowledge is manifest in us. Now, how does it manifest in us? This is going to be fun for me because I'm really into apologetics and I couldn't resist something like this. Um, So there's a lot of ways that we can know God exists. We just inherently know. One example would be God's law is written on our hearts, right? The Bible says that. In fact, Romans chapter 2, we're going to get into this hopefully next time I teach. Chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, for when Gentiles, yeah, we don't have the slide for it, that's okay. 
For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness between themselves and their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. Everybody knows that stealing is wrong. Isn't that strange? If we are all just materials in motion, right? We're just molecules in motion, no spirit, no God, all material evolved from some random big bang, right? If that, if that is all we are, why do we know stealing is wrong? Why do we know murder is wrong? Why do we all know that rape is wrong? It's, it's wrong because God's law has been written on our hearts. You know, and it, it's a, think about this. Okay, if, if we're just molecules in motion, if we're just simply chemical reactions happening nonstop, just a whole room full of skin sacks of chemicals, right? <laughs> okay. Who's to say in an evolutionary mindset or worldview that one sack of chemicals having their way with another sack of chemicals is wrong, right? We know it's wrong, but who's to say it's wrong in an evolutionary worldview? But we all know it's wrong. You know, who's to say one skin sack strapping on a a bomb vest, walking into a crowded room with a bunch of other skin sacks and rearranges the whole place? We all know that's wrong, but in in an evolutionary worldview, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter if they're consistent with their worldview, but they're not. Any atheist would be incredibly mad about what just went down in Las Vegas with the shooter. And they are. They're enraged. And they should be. But if they're consistent with their worldview, then they should shrug it off. Right? Whatever. Survival of the fittest, right? So, uh, that's one way. We all know that God's law is written on our hearts. I wasn't really planning on this, but... Um, Gosh, there's so many cool ways you can talk about. One of them that's, that's really fun to talk about, um, because most people don't think of this, is beauty as evidence of God. That that is manifest in us, that we can see that, that we can look around. Like when you walk out into some field of flowers and you see the blue sky, which is a real calming color, and you see all the greenery around you, and then you have all these beautiful colors that uh, artists know will contrast with these other colors and you see it and you're like oh. and it, you you take that in and you're in awe and you're one in wonder at what you're seeing in an evolutionary framework why would you even care you know what i'm saying why would that even matter to you what survival advantage would beauty have for you or when you see uh, not or not see, but you hear sounds that are just amazing. And, you know, there's certain music. Why would you even care about music? Where does that even come from? Or certain smells. You smell something, you're like, wow. Why do you even appreciate it? Of course, there's some smells that uh, prove the existence of the devil, right? <laughs> you roll over in the morning and your spouse is like, hi. Oh, you know. Come out of them, devil! <laughs> what is that? No. But really, uh, there are smells that show you that as well. Sounds, smells, tastes, 
bite into a juicy steak or some bacon, and you're just like, wow, God exists. <laughs> he has to. So, you know, there, there's just so many different ways. In fact, David comments about this uh, in uh, Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Does that make sense? He's looking up in the sky and he's like, it doesn't matter what language you speak. I see God. I see his creation here. I can't deny it. And you look up in the sky and it doesn't matter if uh, you live now where we've got modern science that we can look at or if you live... God, please get them to where they're going and uh, whoever they're trying to save, may they be skilled in that. Amen. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what time you live, you look up in the sky and you're amazed and you stand in, in wonder at what God has done. You've got the sun and the moon and they're going in their circuit. You've got all these stars. Something that just struck me recently with this eclipse. Isn't that weird? Like, if, if this was all just a random, literally nothing got hot, started spinning and exploded and all the matter that we see came from some random big bang from nothingness, isn't that interesting that we, from this vantage point, are alive, we've got all this complexity, we look up in the sky and there's this thing called an eclipse, where you've got this gigantor sun, right, that's a real word by the way, um, look it up, I promise, and then you've got this itty bitty moon, but they're positioned just perfectly to where this little moon perfectly and barely covers this giant sun, and from our perspective we're like, whoa, that's so cool, that's not a slam dunk argument for God, but it's one of those things that throughout the ages people have looked at that and come to Christ or, or at least acknowledge the existence of God just by looking at that and realizing something grand just happened there and that wasn't an accident. That wasn't just a freak thing of nature. So, but you know, uh, have you guys, anybody here ever seen, uh, the privileged planet? Um, <laughs> yeah, we've got a copy. Uh, awesome. I, I could have sworn I saw it. You could get it either on Amazon, Prime, or Netflix. I could have sworn I saw it on there. You could watch it for free. If not, if you want to watch it, come talk to me. But it's, it's a video that shows all of the, the amazing factors that had to have been in place perfectly in order for us to have this planet that could support life. And, at first, you're like, yeah, yeah, I guess it could have happened by chance, but they just keep hitting you with one thing after another thing after another thing. And by the end of the video, they're doing some math, and you're going, because it's impossible. It couldn't have happened. You know, uh, some people refer to that as the anthropic principle. You know, that um, there's just so many factors that go into this world that we live in, and it's just absolutely impossible that it could have happened by chance. Um, now, if the sun was closer to us, we would fry like bacon. If the moon was further away, uh, or I'm sorry, if the sun was farther away, we would freeze, right? We got Jupiter, this giant planet, right? And its gravity is so powerful that it acts as a shield, and as comets are getting close to us, they just get sucked into Jupiter, blocks it from us, right? So we get saved from that. Uh, we've, we've got uh, the moon, creates uh, tectonic activity, which 
you wouldn't think would be a real beneficial thing, but nitrogen gets stuck below the plates. And then the only way for it to get out is that tectonic activity. If we don't have nitrogen, we don't have plants, right? That's kind of a big deal. <laughs> uh, the the uh, tides that the moon causes, that helps distribute distribute the heat from the equator out to the poles. It's just, there's so many of these factors. You're just like, whoa, how did that, how could that have happened by chance? It couldn't have. So, yeah, it, my wife were, and I were up late one night talking to one of our good friends who is a nurse, and she just went on and on, wouldn't stop talking about how amazingly perfectly designed our body is. All the different organs that are so perfect, so uh, redundant in how they operate, how resilient they are, how the, their, their uh, function is, is fine-tuned for absolute performance. You know, and, you, and we just come, keep coming back to the question, how could this have happened by chance? Millions of millions of years of just random mutations that somehow produced all of this? And by the way, guys, these random mutations that they keep saying, nobody's ever seen a random mutation that was beneficial, that actually added complex information to the genome. It has never been seen. You look in our biology textbooks today, and the best example they have is like malaria, or a fly that has no wings, or a fly that has four legs, you know, or six legs. That's not a beneficial mutation. Malaria is not a beneficial mutation, you know. Um, or I'm sorry, not malaria, sickle cell anemia, right? Sorry, which makes you immune to malaria. But that's kind of like saying that being born without hands is a beneficial mutation because you can't wear handcuffs, right? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. So... Um, yeah, it, it's just it's just amazing what goes into the human body. You know, if you were walking along the beach and you happen to see some writing in the sand and it said, Mike Bohm is a geek. Would you, that's only 16 letters, would you think that maybe that was millions and millions of years of wind, rain, and erosion that somehow produced that message? Maybe a fish flopped up on the beach and started bouncing around just right and then fell back in the ocean. No, you would be looking for my wife. Be, I know Danielle wrote this. <laughs> and likewise, we look around and we see creation. We see evidence of God's design. It's everywhere. And it's undeniable. Um, I get so derailed. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so going on, let's see here. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah, you know, not only that. Beneficial mutations, it, they want to make it seem like it's just one small tweak here, there in the genome. A couple letters here, a couple letters there. And suddenly you've got this new organism or an organism that has a new special superpower, right? But in truth, it has to be a large mutation. You have to have a mutation that gives the, the organism a survival advantage that's very notable. Otherwise, it's new found X-Men powers are going to get lost in the mix. You know, it's not going to outlive its, its, uh, its peers, right? The, its other fellow organisms. It's not going to have some special advantage where they're going to die off 
and it and its offspring are going to be the new ones that are going to live on. It has to be a big mutation. And, you know, even if it does have a survival advantage, which, again, we've never seen a beneficial mutation, even if it does, dude, nature happens. This guy walks out, and he's like, I got new powers. I got it going on. And then, oh, nom, 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 gone. Okay? <laughs> that stuff happens. This is nature. It's not like it has a guarantee, a blank check, that it's going to live on. So how am I doing on time? Because I am rambling. So, yeah. There's just, there's just so many things. There's so many things. Gosh, even if you look at, like, DNA in our bodies, uh, you know, supposedly... It came about by chance, um, which is insane. Like I said, you know, you've got 16 letters on the beach, and you know Danielle wrote it. But we're talking about, uh, what, what is it, 3 billion base pairs in the average human cell? What? Okay, but DNA cannot be formed without protein. It's formed by enzymes that are proteins, and that's how you form DNA. Well, how do you form these enzymes? You can't form it in nature. It's formed by protein. Or I mean uh, DNA. So it's, it's a massive chicken and egg problem. You can't form the DNA without the protein, but you can't form the protein without the DNA. So you're just stuck, right? Anyway, it gets worse. There's, there's so much, there's so much we could talk about. <laughs> And, I, and I'm trying to, I'm, I actually have so much more in my notes that I want to talk about. And I'm looking at the time going, okay, I knew this was going to happen. So God has made it apparent to us. He's shown his, himself, his existence to everybody in the world. They are without excuse, okay? And, and his wrath is on those who suppress that truth. And so going on to verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And so, when we choose, when they choose, to reject God and to suppress that knowledge of him. Their thoughts become futile. They get derailed, if you will. You know, think about our worldview. We have God as its foundation, right? God's existence and his word as the foundation of our worldview. It affects how we behave, how we treat others, um, the things we say, the things we don't say. Uh, it it's our ethics, our morality. Um, it affects our politics, right? Well, conversely, if you suppress God and you do not allow him in the door, if you will, you deny him, the reverse happens. It still affects your worldview, but in a completely different way. And it leads you to different conclusions. You might end up with the right opinion on some things, but it leads you to a lot of different conflicting and wicked, and as the Bible says, futile and foolish uh, uh, conclusions. And so, it, you know, the Bible or the Scripture here goes on, and it says that uh, they change the glory of the incorruptible God 
into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Certainly, I mean, that can apply to just idolatry in general. And that's what it's talking about, idolatry in general. My uh, whole family, we were out there in Israel, and we went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Okay, Very strange place. Man, it is all done up. Bazillions of dollars went into that thing. But they have this, this stone on the floor called the uh, Stone of Anointing. And everybody is down on their faces. People are just flocking to this thing. And they're crying. This is supposedly where uh, Jesus was anointed before being buried. Okay? And they're kissing it and falling upon it. And it was a health code violation. Nightmare! <laughs> all of those lips, you don't know where they've been, you know? And they're, they're all just kissing this thing. It's like, whoa, but idolatry. Just... And, and they're just down and they're worshiping this thing. And we know that that happens today. People worship things, right? Whether Jesus was actually anointed on that rock or not, I don't know. I kind of tend to doubt it, but um, I'm, I won't go there. I won't go there. I doubt it. I just doubt it. All right. Um, but also, this text is talking about basically these people a lot of times will turn to worship the creation, how does that happen today? I'll give you a hint. We just kind of talked about it. Um, evolution. People sometimes will lift up evolution as the creator. Okay? They don't worship uh, the earth, although some people do. There's the cosmic humanists out there, the New Agers that worship the earth, Mother Gaia, Mother Earth, you know. But uh, people get foolish in their thinking. Their thought processes become futile. Uh, I was reading different quotes from uh, famous atheists. You guys familiar with Stephen Hawking? Amazing, brilliant guy, but wait till you hear this quote. He says, because there's a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Guys, that's foolishness. I mean, that's utter foolishness. I mean, nobody here right now sitting in this church is concerned that a elephant is going to materialize, just, you know, pop out of existence in their living room and start thrashing around and trashing the place. Did that thought cross anybody's mind? <laughs> well, because of the law of gravity, that can and does happen. It happened to me last Thursday. It was a mess. No, but really. That, I mean, that's foolishness. We have people like Richard Dawkins. This guy, familiar with him? Okay, yeah, he's... Very outspoken, nasty guy. He's mean. Just mean. But uh, he spends his whole life attacking Christianity, attacking the Bible. He also attacks other faiths, let's be fair, but he loves going after the Christians. Um, he spends all this time trying to disprove an intelligent designer, but then you come to find out he believes that aliens, an intelligent designer, seeded this planet. Okay? That doesn't really help his cause. It just pushes evolution. I mean, he, cause he, he understands that because of the origin of life problems. It's just impossible for life to come from non-life on this planet. It's impossible. And he's, he's, he gets that. So it's like, well, then it must have come from out there. And so he leans on aliens. But he's become foolish in his thinking. 
And just to show you this thought process, he is, he is uh, being consistent with his worldview, which is actually very rare. But uh, recently he came out defending pedophilia. And, you know, disgusting. But if you look at it from their worldview, he's being consistent. Um, he came out, he said this. He said, any fetus is less human than an adult pig. So, yeah, the Bible says when you suppress the truth, you knowingly suppress the truth, you will end up with futile thoughts and your thought processes will lead you to utter foolishness. So, moving on. Like I said, dark stuff. There's some dark stuff we had to cover today. And next time I teach, it's going to be just as dark. But uh, there's always little goodies in there to dig out, so it's okay. You know, you got to hear the bad news before you can hear the good news, right? So, verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts. And see, that's what we just saw, Okay given up to, un- to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed forever. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one for another, men with men, committing that which is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. A lot of uh, pastors are terrified of teaching through Romans, and this is certainly one of those spots. <laughs> you know, in the United States today, it's, it's shameful. You can't say anything negative about the homosexual lifestyle. But this is a very clear passage. It's, it's kind of undeniable. Um, in fact, in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, God calls it an abomination. Having said that, it's just another sin. Okay? Every one of you guys are sinners. We have issues. So do we come hard, come down hard on somebody practicing the homosexual lifestyle? No, not necessarily, no. No, absolutely not, because we got to recognize the sin that's in us. We also needed Christ. They need Christ. Amen? Seriously. Okay, so, yeah, they're sinning. Do we celebrate it? No. No, we don't celebrate fornication. We don't celebrate somebody committing adultery, right? Those are sexual sins, too, and they're bad. We don't celebrate it. We don't encourage them in it. But we do want to show them Christ. We want to show them the love of Christ. We want to bring them to the cross. We all need forgiveness. We all need that blood. So, but yeah, no, the Bible is very clear. It is a sin. And, um, you know, it, it, in fact, it says receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. And that goes for all sin. You know, Galatians chapter six, verse seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever man sows that he will also reap. That goes for all sin. So, moving on to verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, 
Here's, here's a long list of, of fruits of the flesh, if you will. Fruits of a debased mind. Uh, full, filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, see, they know this, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Dark. Really dark. If you were to stop here, man, there's no hope. Everybody go home and cry. I mean, it's bad news. This is what happens. You know, when you follow the lust of your heart, when you reject God, you suppress that knowledge willingly and knowingly, you end up in a debased mind and you start down this, this road of the fruits of the flesh, if you will. You know, and I'll run through them again just in case, you know, sexual immorality, that's it, pretty self-explanatory. Wickedness, covetousness, that means you want what other people have. Uh, maliciousness, you know, you got evil intent, full of envy, murder, strife, as in uh, you like to start fights, basically. You're, you're filled with strife. You're contentious. Uh, deceit, evil-mindedness, uh, whispers and backbiters, basically. Uh, you like to stab people in the back, and you like to pass on rumors. You know, <clears throat> uh, Haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Now, that one's... Okay. <laughs> So in Star Wars, when uh, Darth Vader hooks up with Luke Skywalker and he sees that he modified his lightsaber and he's like, he was with much ad- admiration, he's like, you know, your Jedi skills are nearly complete because he modified his lightsaber. Likewise, when we learn to do evil things, this is terrible, isn't it? This is the worst analogy ever. When we learn to do evil things and we have a debased mind and we're on our way to the dark side, you know you got issues when you can invent, invent new ways to make God angry, right? It's messed up. That was the worst analogy I've ever done and probably ever will, but I had to do it. So anyway, um, disobedient to parents, right? Yikes, man, that's in the same list as murderers. We know in the Old Testament, they would stone the kids that were disobedient. <laughs> That, no, I, you know, we don't do that nowadays, but still, you know, that's actually, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. And so, and, and even some of us who are older, but our parents are still around, it's, that's a big deal. Call your mom today. What the heck? <laughs> so, we know that uh, the wages of sin is death. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we see that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is hope. We're going to get to the passages on salvation, justification, but you have to understand sin. You have to understand where we start. We got issues, okay? And we need to acknowledge that. 
We need to get on our knees and acknowledge that before God. That's part of sanctification. That's part of God cleaning us up. So, I guess coming back to the outline here, Paul just spent this entire time, uh, he gave us some insights on the person that claims they don't believe in God. We now know that they do. They know he's there. They just suppress it, knowingly suppress it. Uh, in fact, there is a branch of apologetics or evangelism that's popped up uh, as of late, presuppositional apologetics, where they don't even try to, to prove the existence of God. They just assume it. They're like, what? You already know it. So then they springboard from there. That's their starting point. You already know it. And sometimes they'll use things like, you have the law written on your hearts and try to draw that out of them. Different types of, of arguments that draw out that knowledge. But they don't even try to prove the existence of God because they already know that this person knows that God exists. So, But um, Paul proved quite well that the Gentiles are all lost. Um, they've taken this knowledge of God. They've repressed it, suppressed it, hid it. <clears throat> They reject God. They reject his law. They think they're wise. They're wise in their philosophies, their science. You know, they're all that. But God says they're fools. And uh, such were many of us before Christ got a hold of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. One, for drawing us in, for showing us that we're sinners. And we are, and we know that. Thank you so much for showing us that. Thank you so much for saving us, for justifying us. Justified, we just as if we had never sinned. We praise and we thank you that for that. And we also thank you, Lord, that you are still working on us and convicting of us, or convicting us of our sins right now. We know we have problems, Lord. Please help us to clean up our lives and walk in a way that's worthy of you. A vessel fit for the master's use, Lord. Also, Lord, I pray that there's nobody here that has suppressed this truth of you. Um, but I, I almost guarantee that most of us here, Lord, have suppressed various things we've read in your word that we didn't like. We see something that makes us uncomfortable and we don't like it. That's sin too. We confess that. And we pray, Father, that you would uh, make us teachable and humble. We want to know your word. We want to accept everything that you have for us. No matter how uncomfortable it is, we want to accept all that you want to teach us through your word. Please make us teachable. And uh, Father, we just thank you. thank you for doing that in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing it out loud.